Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favour to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of The Call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at osbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this, uh, where are we up to? Tuesday edition of, uh, of The Call. Great to have your company for the next 60 minutes or so as we take a look at 10 stocks that you've suggested we have a look at and uh, I put those, your suggestions, to our expert panel. And uh, great to have on board on this Tuesday, Scott Phillips from Motley Falls. Scott, top of the week to you. How are you going, big fella? Going well? Gosh, yeah, to you. I'm very well, thank you, sir. Can't complain Good. at all. Maybe a bit of rain around, but can't complain. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to say, Southern Highlands must be looking really green at the moment of New South Wales. Beautiful Mate, part of the world. Compared to last year, this time last year, I didn't mow the lawn for six months when October and April, such was the drought. And yep. it's just absolutely green everywhere, mate. It's amazing what a difference a year makes. And yeah, exactly. We're more more, more likely to be carried away by a flood than, uh, than bushfires yep. this time. Exactly right. All right. Uh, for the, because we're encouraging everyone to see their state and get around. Um, top restaurant, your favourite restaurant in the Southern Highlands? Don't go there when I want to go there, Koshi. But if I'm not there, go to Onesta Cucina. O-N-E-S-T-A, Onesta Cucina, C-U-C-I-N-A. Great food, wonderful menu, always changes. Fantastic staff, decent price. Not cheap, but decent right. price for what you get. Okay, so uh, whereabouts in the Southern Highlands? Is that around Barrel Way? It is my barrel central. Yeah, exactly. Just off the main street, just tucked oh, yeah. away. But if you, uh, yeah, easy enough to find. What's the other one there that Lib and I stopped by? Is it Biota? Is that around? Yes, Biota is also very good. Yeah, Absolutely, yeah. mate. Yeah, it's good. Great Beautiful part of the world. Yep, anyway, fine. coming to New South Wales uh, on, a, on a visit, go to the Southern Highlands. Um, also on the panel today, uh, David Novak from Wealthwise Education. David, how are you, sir? Very well, thank you. All right, favourite restaurant in Sydney? Oh, geez. Favourite restaurant in Sydney. Geez, that's a, that's For a... anyone who visits and... Um, oh, geez. I'm just thinking which one. Um, I mean, look, if only visitors coming to Sydney, it's pretty hard to beat um, Cafe Sydney, isn't yeah, it? For the yeah. view. The top of the customs house there on the Circular Um Yeah, but there's another Greek one in Potts Point. It just escapes Apollo. me. Apollo. Apollo. Yes. Uh, Apollo is one of the ones I like. <laughs> <laughs> and... and and Apollo, um, my um, um, son and his wife uh, uh, live up around there. It was a favourite, but yeah. it was one of the early hotspots for COVID. But that, that's so far away. But it is stunning Greek food there, isn't it? It is. It's it great. Is. So there, there you go, everyone. You've got to get out and, uh, and enjoy it. All right, let's, um, before we get into your 10 stocks, 
I always come up with the stock of the day, something that's been in the headlines a bit and thought we'd take a look at uh, Metcash today. Metcash, who is the, um, uh, the group that uh, um, has its... Um, um, distributes uh, to IGA stores, a lot of independent groceries. Uh, gave us a bit of a trading update today and uh, for the first few months of, the, of their new quarter and, um, um, and the new calendar year, they've been doing pretty well. Um, Scott, what did you think of the, the Metcash result? Actually, really good results for Metcash. Probably not super surprising given how well we know groceries gone. Woolies and Coles, of course, out not that long ago with their numbers. Um, we all cooked at home. We all ate at home. We all spent plenty of money. I stocked up with toilet paper and baked beans and flour and goodness knows what. I can only imagine how much flour is going out of date, by the way, around now, because it must be about that time when all the extra baked goods we thought we were going to use didn't, didn't end up getting used. But um, no, look, good result from Metcash. I will say, though, if you look through that good result, and it was a good one, I'm still not a fan of Metcash business, mate. It is a really structurally challenged business because it doesn't own the supermarkets, it supplies them. And the independent grocery sector of Australia, I think, only gets smaller over time. If you're supplying a shrinking sector with a big fixed cost base, i.e. the warehouses and distribution networks, that's a tough business to be in. You can't shrink fast enough. If your customer base shrinks, you have to believe, and for shareholders, they have to hope that this remains a growth industry and a growth area rather than one in decline. I don't share that faith. If you've got, you own some shares, you made a few dollars, well done. I'd be taking my money off the table now. I'd like to see them survive. I'd like to see them do well. I just don't think they will with Woolies, Coles, Aldi, Costco, um, everybody else trying to trying to eat their lunch. Uh, no, no pun intended. So well I don't done. think the the for grocery. Why, why is their share price doing so well? And it seems to be that the, the last couple of results have actually been really good. So the, the, the kind of, you know, the short to medium term, we're spending a lot of money in those supermarkets, at, like Coles, like Woolies, they're doing well. Now, I should say they've also got a really attractive part of their business. The liquor wholesale business is really great. So you kind right. of got these two sides of the green. If they split them off, I would, you couldn't, I couldn't run away from the grocery business fast enough, but I definitely buy the liquor business. I don't think liquor is good enough to offset the structural decline that I think is coming. Now, if I'm wrong, and maybe the market's betting I'm wrong, and that's fair enough, um, then there is some value in, in Metcash. But I think you've got to be a brave person to believe that Metcash delivers growth in grocery over the next five or 10 years. Uh, so again, as I said, share price is going really well. So fantastic, but I'd be taking my profits now and putting them elsewhere. Right. And really, your um, if there's a Coles v. Woolies, who would you pick out of those two? As an well, alternative, if you want to get Woolies into that sector. Right yeah, Woolies is the better retailer right now. So business-wise, I'd go for Woolies. Price-wise, I think they're both overpriced, Koshia, really honestly. If you think about the long-term growth of these guys is 3 to 5%, kind of, you know, a bit of inflation, a bit of population growth, maybe some cost out, uh, and you get maybe 5 or 6% long-term. They're priced way higher than that reality. So they've either got to find or buy growth, or invest have to keep paying up for a very long time. So man, I I won't... I, I, I wouldn't buy other people just going to try and beat the market. At a pinch, I think given the success of Woolies right now, they're in the ascendancy, I'd go for Woolies. Um, and I suppose economic stimulus, uh, do tax cuts help in that regard? I don't think so. I don't think it's likely to, to really grow the business for Woolies and Coles in any material way. Maybe actually in the old days, you know, West Farmers and then Woolies when it was a, a more a larger retailer with, with kind of broader reach, it was kind of more exposed to that discretionary spending. 
I think the reality is the more money we've got, the more likely we are to eat out rather than in. Uh, the more likely we are to travel rather than stay home. All those things that really don't help. Well, at least the, the reverse of what we've seen over the last 12 months is probably okay. likely the better the economy is going, I reckon. Okay. So uh, take some profits on Metcash as far as you're concerned, David. What do you think of uh, Metcash? Yeah, look, I, I would agree with Scott on that. I couldn't hear most of what he was yeah. saying. But uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, look, they, they, they've been steady, but I think uh, with the, the, their highlight has been the COVID that you know, has helped their sales. But I think that'll taper off. And that's what Cole's indicated as well, the CEO. Yeah. So uh, yeah, look, I, I would as well. At the, on the chart, you saw a moment ago, it's hitting that resistance. That's called the resistance yeah. level up there. So, you know, um, I mean, you could hold it for the dividend. It's a good dividend yield of 4%. Um, but I expect it could pull back easily from here. So um, if you've got it and you bought it some time ago, uh, you know, you just hold it. But I wouldn't be buying it up here. Okay. All right. There we go. There's the, uh, the view on Metcash today. Uh, had a great run. Maybe time to take some profits. Um, David, Jock wants a view on Magellan Financial Group. Uh, Jock says it's had some uh, great growth options for the coming months. Uh, it would be great to see the ex- what the experts think of it. Of course, it's the big funds management group here in Australia. Um, some um, um, a, a really no- well-known fund manager, Hamish, who, um, who runs it. Um, they run a number of investment funds, but also have started to take um, direct interest in in other investments, uh, the new investment bank, Baron Joey, they've got a 40% stake in. Um, they bought 16% per stake, uh, percent stake in Finclear. And um, also Guzman and Gomez, the, uh, the makes of a fast food restaurant they've taken a direct interest in. Um, David, so not just in funds management, they're doing a, a bit of investing themselves. Yeah, the only problem I've got right now, technically, purely technically speaking, is the trend. Uh, The trend is not your friend. Um, And it's been heading down since um, those those highs back in, we saw that back in December. And uh, since then, it's just headed south when it was was $62, $63. And here we are at, you know, just under 45. Um, So for that reason alone, technically speaking, I wouldn't buy it. That's something I've learned over 35 years is don't fight the trend. Uh, I think there's good value down here, Magellan. I think for anybody who wants to accumulate, um, I think it, uh, you know, the Aussie dollar has obviously hurt their earnings, overseas earnings as well. But I wouldn't be rushing to buy it myself, just purely given the negative trend there that you can see. Right. But for value investors, maybe this is an opportunity for them to accumulate um, some shares down here. It's a, it's a good yield from according to what I can see. It's around four, uh, 5.8%. Uh, most, most brokers have a target here. There's seven holds, three buys and three sells. So, you know, it's average mean price is 50, $50.50. So um, it's a little bit higher than here. As you can see it's about 10% higher on the mean price. Um, yep. So, you know, it's like I said, it's attractive yield around 5% okay. uh, fully franked. And um, for those who are looking for a little bit of value, you could accumulate. But personally, I wouldn't be rushing to buy right now, given okay. that trend. Uh, Scott, what do you think of Magellan? So, Koshi, when I saw this on the list, my first thought was, great, this is easy, too expensive, not going to buy it. Then I looked at the share price, and it's come down quite a bit, as we saw from that chart while David was speaking. Uh, I really, look, Magellan is a great fund manager. They've done such a good job for a long time for their clients. 
uh, two ways. The first is they've brought a whole lot of people into international investing who otherwise mightn't have. And that's super important for Australian investors. And secondly, their returns have been really good. So it's a really nice one-two punch from, from Hamish and the team. Uh, I, I've got to say that P about 18, and David's already mentioned the yield of 5%. It's really, really hard to go past. I think over time, fund managers, one of the great things about the fund manager business model is you get all the benefit, literally all the benefit, when the market goes up. And we all know, no matter if it goes down from time to time, and certainly we know that over the past 12 months, the reality is the market goes up more than it goes down. It tends to go up over time. If you're a fund manager and you're clipping the ticket on higher asset prices, higher asset values, share prices, you're doing really well. And so that combination for mine makes Magellan a buy at the current price at 18 times earnings and 5% dividend yield, 75% franked. That's a pretty good deal for what I think is going to be a structurally advantaged long-term buy and hold. So you're, what, you've got a hold there or a buy? No, buy, buy, sorry, mate. Yep, buy, buy and hold. Sorry, so it's a buy. Okay. All right. And, um, and does it worry you that they're investing directly in other areas like Baron Joey, like Guzman and Gomez, rather than just being a pure fund manager for their funds and, and taking the management fees? So does it worry me? No, but it does add both more risk and more potential return. I think the guys have earned the the right to kind of go fishing a little bit, a little bit of rope to go and sort of see what they can do. The The reality is it should be no different owning 40% of Baron Joey Capital or 40% of a listed company like Macquarie Bank. It, you know, at the end of the day, not that Magellan could afford to buy that with the funds they've got, but conceptually, if you're applying the same rules and you have the same insights into the business, it shouldn't matter all that much to the fund holders what you own right. and where you own it. So I don't, I'm not worried too much. It does increase the risk because they're like Guzman, great food, but is it going to be a successful business? Who knows? Maybe maybe they make out like bandits on this one. Maybe they get dusted entirely. So it adds risk, absolutely, but also adds potential return because if you're buying stuff off market, generally speaking, at least it should be the case that they're getting a better price. So right. if they're buying a, a similar quality asset for a cheaper price, eventually maybe it gets listed like Guzman and if and when it does, they should get a nice return on that. So it's an attractive way to do it if you can do it well. I'm not sure they can, but I'm not sure they can't. I'd be happy to give them some rope given their success right. over the past decade. Okay, so. good point. All right, now uh, Peter wants a, um, uh, a view, Scott, on nickel mines. Um, they had pretty good production and, and earnings result. The most recent one, share prices had a, had a bit of a kick up as well. What do you think of nickel mines now? This is a, a pure play nickel miner, is it? It is. And, and Koshy, look, I, nickel pig iron in particular is, their, is yep. their main commodity or the only commodity, really. Um, it's a, it, this is a tough one. Your viewers will know well, you know well, I'm not a massive fan of commodity companies because you don't control the price. And so you have to have a view, even if you don't actively take a view, you're implicitly taking a view where the commodity price goes next. Because for all of the company-specific stuff you just mentioned, nothing matters if the nickel price halves or doubles from here. Um, the, the, the returns for shareholders will be massively, massively geared to the commodity price. Now, a company with a lot of debt can add layers of risk, for example. A, a company with great operating um, history and, and a high quality management team can reduce that risk a little. But the reality is you are buying the commodity and you're buying a leveraged uh, play on the commodity itself because we know profits increase faster than the commodity price. And when the commodity price falls, profits fall faster than the commodity price. So this is a leveraged play on nickel. If that's your thing, knock yourself out. Um, I'm looking forward to what David's got to say about the trend of the share price based on that chart we can see. But I, I can't I can't really say, particularly these high elevated prices, if you're going to play commodities, I would uh, almost only ever be playing them when the commodity price was low rather right. than high. 
because the future is if you can buy closer to the marginal cost of production, it's a phrase I've used a lot on the program and we'll keep doing it, then you lower your risk, right? If you know it costs, and let's pick a random commodity, iron ore costs 15, $20 to get out of the ground. If you buy it when the price is 25 bucks a ton, there's a very good chance that while the price could still go lower and could stay lower for a while, the odds are that it's going to go higher rather than lower. If you're buying iron ore $140 a ton that still only costs 25 to get out of the ground, well, guess what? Very good chance that the price could go either direction. And again, no matter how good the miner, in this case, iron ore, or in the case of, of nickel, um, no matter how good the, the nickel miners, you just can't control the outcome. Mm. You literally yep. can only invest on this if you have a view on where the price goes next. I have none, unfortunately. Sorry, okay. mate. David, what do you reckon about nickel? Yeah, look, um, well, a lot of the commodities, especially copper and iron ore, as we know, has been very bullish. Um, you know, yeah. there's talk about the commodity super cycle here. Nickel's been very strong. It had a very good run up. If you look at the long term chart on nickel, which I, I had a glance at here, I mean, for the last couple of years, it's been trading between 11,000 and around 17,000. And it recently hit 19,500. And then it dropped sharply 20%. Wow. Okay. So it's back to about 16,000 a ton US. Um, they're still making, you know, any nickel producers are still making a, a good amount of money at 77, 78 cents on right. the dollar. Um, my only problem with the, the, the stock has exploded higher from mm. 30 cents where it was the COVID lows. The pre-COVID highs were 70. Here we are, nearly $1.50. Yep. I think it's fully <laughs> valued up here. Um, I'm surprised there's no profit taking. The only thing I'm very cautious about here, I mean, if you've got the stock, you'd be holding it. I wouldn't be buying it. But if it fails at this, this level that you can see right here, um, and it breaks below that previous low, which is $1.20, I would not want to be holding it because that'll mm. make a, what they call a very powerful bearish pattern called a double top. Right. Um, you know, and, and that's about 78% probability like pattern that when it breaks below the previous low, it's going to go much further down. So I'd be very cautious. Um, I certainly wouldn't be buying it. Um, look at the companies generating some very good cash flows uh, while the nickel price is up here. But as uh, Scott was saying, you know, you're dealing with commodities, um, very volatile. I mean, look what happened to just with Fortescue. Yeah. I mean, look how Fortescue's fallen yeah. from $25 to $20 yeah. on a small pullback on mm -hmm. the, the iron ore price. price. It's like, you know. I was done with that. And Rio has pulled back and BHP yeah. and the whole lot. I mean, didn't seem. Because it's still Fortis extraordinarily high. Well, Fortescue's cash flow is that their, their half yearly report was out yeah. of the park. The, yeah. You know, just um, it, it's <coughs> so a little bit to me is a, there's been some what I call overreaction or fear. Right. You know, um, some major institutions getting out, whatever. But I was very surprised by that reaction after it went ex-dividend. So do you buy Fortescue? Well, down here, it's pretty incredible value on the, on the yield mm. and the earnings multiple and the cash flow for this quarter. Right. I mean, they're going to produce another record quarter mm. result, no doubt about that. Okay. So I would not be a seller of Fortescue. I'm definitely um, be looking at accumulating, but the trend has been, look, it's been a lot of damage in this sell-off. Yeah. So, you know, the dust has to be, has to settle a bit before we start okay. seeing it move up. All yeah. right. Um, thank you for that suggestion, Peter. Good uh, discussion there on nickel mine. Um, Nina. Um, David wants a view on James Hardy, the um, uh, the big building products manufacturer, and um, that's based not only here in Australia but big operations in the United States and New Zealand, Philippines, Europe, and and Canada. Uh, they had a a fifty nine percent rise in the most most recent um, quarter. Um, 
booming fibre cement products um, following um, um, a big housing market in the United States. Uh, big operations in the United States. Dollar tends to uh, mm. knock them around a bit if it goes the wrong way. David, what do you reckon of yeah. James Harding? Well, that's right, because that's 70% of their income comes from North America. Yeah. And then uh, there's Asia, the Asian Pacific region and, and, and Europe. I think it's 13% in Europe and the rest is Asia Pacific. Um, so the Aussie dollar does, against the US dollar, has a, does have an impact. I mean, look, their earnings growth, it's all leveraged to the real estate market, of course, in North America. Um, and you know, the strength of the, the dollar. Um, now, I, I just think up here, look, there's, there's valuations for, um, there's strong earnings growth, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, the, there's no dividend yield that I can see for the company, but there are high valuations between 44 and 40, uh, 41 to 44 dollars for most brokers. The, the mean seems about 44 dollars, so they're still mm. predict, predicting more upside. But on the chart, itself it's struggling up here if you look at it after it's had a really nice rally from those lows when it got down to as low as 15 dollars yep. can you believe that yeah um and here we are right now just around uh, as you said 38 there but it's just been going sideways here since december so it really needs something to kick it higher uh to go above 40 dollars here i'd be cautious if it got below um 35 i'd i'd, I'd be uh, i'd have my line in the sand there but it's just treading water here and i think I would I would say mostly on the back of the strong Aussie dollar. Right. That's that's holding it back. Right. Okay. Um, and of course, it depends on the housing market. It's growing strongly in the U.S. as well. But yeah, um, it's a hold. I, okay. I wouldn't be buying right now, but it's definitely a hold. Okay. Uh, Scott James Hardy. Gosh, you know, I can't disagree with David at all. I think you summarised the circumstance perfectly in terms of the opportunities and the risks for James Hardy. This is very much macro exposed. We know that building materials. Now the, the run up, and let's be honest, this is not just back to pre-COVID highs. This is you know a good 25% above those pre-COVID highs on the assumption that all of the government stimulus spending here in the US gets into the economy and ends up with more construction. That's probably not a bad guess, honestly. And if, if I was gonna speculate, I think it's probable that that's exactly what does happen over the next three to four years as a lot of this infrastructure spending kind of happens. And then the, the consumer stimulus actually starts to make its way through the economy as well into business confidence, business spending, business investment. So, you know, the, the macro things are right for James Hardy. The challenge I have is you're paying 25 times earnings now on the basis of that higher share price. It already assumes those things that, that you know, will happen in future. So, you know, there's one question of can we explain or justify the current share price? Maybe. If you want to beat the market from here, though, you have to believe that it keeps going up from this point, from an already elevated PE of 25 odd times and a share price close to 40 bucks. So, yes, it's come back a little bit since the February highs. Uh, some of the rest of the market has as well, of course. Just too rich for my blood. I think that, you know, if you have a really strong view on that macro and you believe Hardy can capitalize, they probably can. If you're right about the macro being really, really good for a long time, then you know, I can imagine the share price going higher. You want to buy these guys as counter-cyclical purchases. You want to yep. buy them in the midst of that COVID gloom, right, and ride the wave that we've seen. You want to be selling when all the good news is priced in because we know cycles are cycles. It's been a long time, you know, between recessions for Australia, but for the rest of the world and most industries, there are always the hot and cold periods and buying a cyclical play at the top of its price range. I'm not a trader, I'm not, I'm not a chart reader, David's much more capable of that than I am, but just realistically, even think about the business cycle itself, buying at the top of the business cycle, even if it gets a little bit better and it might, 
Um, unless you're gonna have a really specific trading strategy for this one, I'd be leaving it well enough alone, but happily buying it back again when the price falls, and I'm pretty sure there right. will at some point. So it's a good company um, in a in a sector that's just hot at the moment and with a lot of expectations, if there's a pullback, then look at it. All right, um, no, Mike exactly. wants a view, uh, Scott, on 1300 Smiles, which is the um, the dental roll-up. We have, what, uh, Pacific Smiles, I think, in this sector. Right. 1300 Smiles and HLS, I think, are in this area a bit as well. Um, they had a, um, a pretty good increase, 35% increase in their most recent uh, profit figures coming out. Um, lifted their interim dividend a bit as well. Um, what do you think of 1300 Smiles? So this is a really tough one, Koshi. I, I started writing about 1300 Smiles about 10 years ago when I joined the Motley Fool. I want to say the price was something about 10 or 15% lower than it is today. And that's a very, very, very tough decade for 1300 Smiles investors. And it's not for lack of a good run, well run business. The challenge for 1300 is just a lack of growth. And the price is well, 20 six times earnings for a business that's really not putting material wow. long-term growth on the board. And that's the hard part. It is very well run. Retail investors love 1300 Smiles and for good reason, super shareholder friendly management, really clear, really transparent, uh, direct, honest, love all that stuff. The problem is everyone already knew that so they paid up for it and that's fair. But then if you pay again, a bit like James Hardy, once you paid full price for this, unless you get growth to go with it, the share price is going to go anywhere in a hurry. And so if you look at the long-term performance of this stock, it really has gone close enough to nowhere, particularly after inflation over the last decade. And that makes it a really tough one. I think, look, they've eschewed debt. Pacific Smiles and others have gone after debt really hard and tried to make you know, every poster winning using a lot of debt for the roll-ups, which is what normally happens. And when that works, it works spectacularly. When it doesn't work, it works terribly. So 1300 has done the right thing saying, we'll stay away. What that's meant is that the price has been pushed up for acquisitions because other people are rolling these things up right. at higher prices. So 1300 is saying, well, we're being disciplined, but we're not buying anything because there's nothing to buy because the prices are too high, yep. so there's no growth. And again, I can't fault them for it, but if you're an investor, a well-run business that just doesn't have growth is fine. doesn't mean you should invest in it. I think that for me is 1300 smiles. Good business, well-run. I don't see the growth to justify the cut. Today's share right. price at a P of 26 or 27. Because just like we have the, the insurance broker roll-up listed companies, um, you have the dental ones now with 1300 and, uh, and Pacific Smiles. And we've seen it in childcare centres, haven't we? That once a few of them get in and start rolling it up, the price goes up uh, of the new ones that they have to buy in. It's, um, it's an interesting model. But as you say, you've got to get in at the right time. Uh, David, what do you think of 1300 Smiles? Oh, look, I echo ex everything that Scott just said. I, yeah. I agree. Um, up here, uh, look, it's price for growth and it's in, on a very high multiple. I mean, look, this stock is you know above its pre-COVID high, which was, what, $6.50. hit $8. We've taken some money off the table there. Yep. Uh, I'd like to see it get back to six fifty before I would be interested. Um, so if... If anybody's still holding it, you know, if you bought it at lower levels, especially at the, the COVID level, low level, around just around five dollars or lower, uh, you'd be very happy to hold this. And it's yeah. and it's got a look steady growing dividend yield. Their half yearly report was pretty good. You know, their yeah. um, earnings before interest tax and depreciation was up seventeen percent to eleven million. After tax was five point nine million, up thirty five percent. So you know, it's a well managed business um, and steady growth in uh, in dividend and 
you know, mm. good margin as well. Yep. So, but it's so it's price. a real well-run business. It's a very well-run business. That's highly priced, though. Just too, too, yeah, too highly priced. I'd okay. like to buy it at lower levels. Yep. Around that six fifty, you'd be interested. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right, Mike. Thank you for that suggestion. Um, David Linus wants a view on Australian pharmaceutical industries. Linus says I've held a small portfolio for a couple of years and am seriously thinking about selling it for a loss as it doesn't appear to be returning anywhere near its September-October 2018 highs. Uh, of course, Australian Pharmaceutical is in the health and, and beauty product services business. Uh, they own Priceline, don't they? They own Priceline franchises, yeah, yeah. Uh, the clear skincare networks and clinics, um, basically in pharmacy manufacturing and, and retail in that, that beauty space and pharmacy products. Yeah, look, I, I can't get excited about this one. I'm just oh. looking at their performance over the years, and you can see it in the share price. It's reflected. I mean, since 2017, had that peak of around $2.25, and here we are, you know, $1.24, half that price. And uh, it's just been, you know, pretty, you know, steadily going down, having a little bit of a recovery rally here. But I wouldn't get too excited about this. I mean, I just look at... Um, Personally, you know, the, the earnings growth here, there's, there's about four brokers or five brokers out there has got a, a mean average target of $1.25, right. which is where it is right now. Um, you and know, see, it looks as though Day, um, Linus, when he was, um, just his comments there, boarded yeah. around that $1.80, mark. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, one of the pr big problems that investors, I've, I've been teaching for you know 30 odd years now and uh, one of the things that always 90% at least 95% of investors in the share market they never they don't have a clearly defined exit strategy right and so you've got to know when the trend changes from up to down or from down to up right. and most people have no idea yeah. about that so so to me what I've learned over 35 40 years is definitely timing is everything mm -hmm. <laughs> No doubt about that. Even when you look at the fundamentals, I mean, you know, you look at companies in the tech sector and you go, why would you buy this? But people are, you yep, know, so yep, you go yep. with the trend. Yep. And then you've got very solid, you know, financially, fundamentally very sound companies people are avoiding. Yep. Um, and, and you go, why is it going down? You know, we just saw Magellan is, yep. is a good example of that. Um, but th this one just doesn't tick any boxes for me at all. Right. You know, from a, from a growth, earnings growth or from a technical perspective, uh, I would move on. I would uh, not be a buyer, I'd be a seller and, and move into something that's got more growth. Okay. Scott? Yeah. I can't disagree, unfortunately. I know this would, it'd be much more interesting if we just disagree more, so I'll, maybe we'll try in the second <laughs> half of the program. Uh, look, API is a tough business, right? So it's in a couple of attractive areas. We had a recommendation on it. We, we made a blue and our members lost money on this one we got out. Um, that, that was uh, probably a couple of years ago now. The, the, the challenge for API is it's in the wholesale pharmacy business, in other words, supplying pharmacies and pharmacists. That is a horribly oversupplied industry. Wonderful for us as consumers. The government pays these companies to deliver anywhere within 24 hours, which is wonderful and we love it. The problem is there's too many of them. So they all run basically under capacity and subscale. And that is terrible for business. Secondly, the price line, which were great pharmacies for the longest time. Their loyalty club is spectacular, the sister club. It's really, really good. The problem is that they're not growing at the moment and Chemist Warehouse is taking all the running in the pharmacy sector. So you got those two headwinds effectively coming at you. What was a great retail operation, I think probably still could be under the right, under the right ownership or stewardship, could still do well. 
the wholesale pharmacy business, I think it's just structurally broken until one of them goes out of business. There's three big wholesalers. There's not a big enough market for all three. They just they, they need to consolidate one way or the other. Um, it won't be a, an attractive place to invest until that point, I don't think, unless you get a really, really attractive price or price line can continue or return to really good growth. Right now, it's not. Um, 18 times earnings is not stupidly demanding, uh, but profit is falling and return on equity is about 6%. Um, these are terrible numbers for for investors. So look, it's on the watch list. It's one that you could possibly eventually get at a cheap enough price to make it worth your while. That time, unfortunately, is not yet. And the price is certainly not this one. Yep. Okay. All right. There you go, Linus. Uh, there's a bit of direction on your holding in Australian pharmaceuticals. Um, let's just recap our final five or uh, first five stocks. Um, Metcash. Uh, a no from uh, our stock of the day, a no from both David and Scott, uh, and basically both saying take some profits on it at the moment. You had a really good run up. Uh, Magellan, a yes from Scott. Um, David, certainly a hold the trend isn't looking great on the charts, but if you're a value investor, um, this could be in your wheelhouse and uh, worth looking at. Uh, nickel mine, uh, be cautious on it. Um, hold from David, but if it falls below a dollar twenty, it could get really ugly. So if you if you're going to hold it, uh, just be wary. A no from Scott. Uh, James Hardy, uh, a hold from David. A no from Scott. Uh, One three hundred smiles. Uh, a no from both of them. David would because good company, uh, good results, paying a good dividend, and really expensive at the moment. David would be interested if it got down to around that $6.50 mark rather than where it is at the moment. And Australian pharmaceutical industries, a no from both. Uh, here at the call, we uh, are following our own fantasy portfolio with our thanks to our partner, uh, NAB Trade. Any stock that gets a, uh, a two thumbs up from our or a unanimous yes from our expert panel goes into the calls portfolio. Uh, if it comes up again, in front of a different panel, doesn't get unanimous guidance, um, it, it comes out of the portfolio. So uh, let's take a look how it's been going for the last week. It's up uh, just over 3.5% for the month, down 1.5%. And since the 1st of July, up around 25%. You can see all of the stocks in port the portfolio at osbiz.co slash portfolio. Uh, some of the stocks that have been recently added by our expert panel, um, Evolution Mining, Entertainment, Hospitality and Entertainment, Omni Bridgeway, uh, Kogan and McMahon's and some of the, uh, some of the stocks to have uh, come out um, over recent times as um, groups like uh, Macquarie Group. Now ahead of us here on Ausbiz on the Pulse coming up this afternoon, we've got an absolute cavalcade of uh, Chief Executives Richard Cotty from uh, State Gas will be joining the team coming up at 1.30pm. All right, let's get into uh, the second half of the call, our final five stocks. And David Duncan wants a view on Over the Wire, which is uh, one of these telecommunications cloud and IT solutions providers. Uh, it's in all major capital, Australian capital cities, plus Auckland in New Zealand. Um, they um, provide data networks to companies, um, uh, voice, they host um, uh, websites and data, offer security systems and the like. What do you mm. think of uh, Over the Wire? 
Uh, this gets a thumbs down from me. Again, right. I look at the, um, the, the growth, uh, the earnings growth, and it's really been steadily going lower. Um, you know, when I look at the return on equity here from 2018, it was uh, just under 17% to where it is now, 6%. So that's not, not positive. Um, you know, um, so I, I, you know, there's a very small dividend yield, but look, it's, it's also again, you know, the price to earnings ratio, you'd think this was a real growth stock, but given the earnings trend, I can't see why it's priced at 40 odd times earnings multiple. It's a small cap of about 250 odd yeah. million. But and, look, and not very liquid by the look of no, that chart. No, no, it's, yeah. um, you know, so, I mean, you know, there's a there's a five brokers that cover it out there. They've got a mean price about $4.60 thereabouts. Uh, so it's not far from that. But I, look, I just, I don't, I don't can't get excited about this looking at their, their numbers. Right. For me, and the trend as well is, you know, it's going, it had a, four, obviously, like all stocks had a, a dump in, in the gym and, and it's went, um, the COVID situation went down to $2 from about $4.50, back to $4.50, then it's pulled back here. And that's all it's been doing is just tracking sideways, consolidating. Um, I can't see just unless they, they you know, Scott can enlighten us to see what the growth is in this company. I, I don't see it myself. Yeah. Scott, so. do you see anything in over the wire? No, I wish I could, guys. 28 times earnings is way too much to pay for a company that really doesn't have the growth, as David's already mentioned. Telecommunication services is a hot sector. Tech has been hot. Um, I guess hope springs eternal, and there is always the chance that maybe there's another leg of growth coming somewhere here, but certainly it hasn't delivered that growth to date. Um, yeah, I, there, there is a bit of a there is a bit of a, a, a kind of a, an effect in the tech sector in Australia right now. I think we've seen it across the board. There are specific companies that are great and worth paying for. There are other companies that are small and just you know may or may not do really well. And there's a lot of stuff that's just being you know I think caught up somewhere in between. Over people are overpaying for it because they want exposure to tech or telcos or something without really being able to justify the price. Now, while everyone else is paying the same price, that's okay. Uh, you know, if you bought it at 25 times earnings, now it's 28. You feel like you're a genius. But PE expansion can only do so much for you without earnings growth. And I think this one's going to have to come back to the pack. Or maybe there is, uh, as you guys kind of infer, maybe there's something that I'm missing as well. Uh, but it really doesn't seem like over the wire has enough growth left. The telco space seems, I don't want to say kind of um, post-growth, but that's kind of the way it feels right now. Yeah. Uh, I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be buying it at the current price, the current valuation. Okay. All right. So... Uh... That's a no, Duncan, from uh, both Scott and um, and David when it comes to Over the Wire. Um, Scott Rosie wants a view on Class 1. This is um, um, basically a cloud-based um, software administration platform targeting self-managed super fund administration um, administrators here in, uh, here in Australia. Uh, streamlines the if you like, the admin and investment function of uh, self-managed superannuation funds with companies, trustees and, and individuals. Uh, Rosie says, seems to be a great company, but down a lot. That's a really good summary. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> spot on, Rosie. Um, Gosh, I should say, by the way, Matt, quick, quick interruption. You were, you were wonderful at asking David and I for some restaurant recommendations. I'm sure there are some good people around Port Adelaide who would love you to, uh, to share some of theirs. So I'll, I'll, I'll leave that question with you on notice, mate, and, okay, uh, right. and get back to the question you asked me. But I hope you don't mind me doing that to you. No. Um, so so uh, <laughs> just thought I'd throw that in. Mate, um, look, when it comes to class, the, the challenge, I think, was it was a the right company in the right space at the right time to really gobble up and, and really you know disrupt 
the superannuation administration. It was well and truly just you know, advisors, accountants, uh, fund managers fell over themselves to get on the platform because it was just such an easy, simple, obvious way to do it. It was much better than what was out there already. It was a third party system, software as a service, so you paid as you went. It was exactly the right, the right system. I think the problem for class is they kind of gobbled up most of that market share pretty quickly. And in your question, you said, you know, here in Australia, I think that's the problem. I think they've, they've captured a decent chunk of market share. They've gone from innovator disruptor to not exactly incumbent, but to some sort of, you know, market share that's a pretty stable kind of level of performance. And the next leg is going to be hard to get. There are so many others out there trying to do the same thing. It feels like there's a bit of a stasis now in that space. The disruptors came, they saw, they conquered as much as they were going to. And now the question, a bit like over the wire is, and now what? Where's the next leg of growth? Where do we go to from here? Show me this is worth paying a premium price for. And I think that's why it's fallen. Even after the share price falls, still a P of 27 times earnings, by the way. So still a lot expected of class. And I just wonder, you know, whether it's just become, I think investors may just need to reassess their expectations rather than the company itself doing anything wrong. 3% fully frank dividend yield is really nice for a business that is in this kind of, you know, as you say, platform administration. They clip the ticket, so it should be slow, regular, steady growth. Even if they don't gain market share, they should still be able to deliver growing profits, slow, but steady growing profits over time. So I think it's kind of gone from, you know, Wonderkind uh, growth stock to yep. not exactly mature and, and X growth, but certainly it's kind of arrived. And right now, unless it shows its ability to grow from here, it might be one of those situations where rather than saying the company's not performing, it's more a question of investors expected too much, probably unnecessarily sure. unreasonably. And now it's a P of 27, dividend of three. That's not cheap enough to buy. Uh, I wouldn't sell it if I owned it, by the way, necessarily. I think it's worth holding on to. But unless it can show another leg, leg of growth, the PE will probably keep contracting to some sort of more reasonable level. That will hurt share price wise, by the way, if that happens, unless it happens as growth happens at the same time, a bit like right. one turn to smiles and others. Uh, the price simply got there ahead of profits and I think profits need to catch up. Okay, all right, mm. David. Yeah, look, it's an uh, interesting company. They, they have had a good growth in numbers and revenue, um, you know, through some acquisitions as well, I, I noticed there, but you know, good recurring revenue. Um, Steady um, dividend yield by the looks of it. I was just having a quick look at that. Look, it's pulled back quite sharply here from on the chart, you know, when it got yeah. up to, um, again, that was a previous resistance level around that $2.22.25, 230 level, actually hit bang on that level and then pull back. Um, that was back in, we're just looking at the chart here when it happened, you can see it there. But um, that was a perfect level to take profits, which was um, October and then of course, you had the, um, uh, sorry, that was October. Yeah, October last year. And um, that was the that was sort of pre-COVID level as well. And then it pulled back, pulled it back very sharply here. Um, I don't mind it down here at $1.50. Um, I would wait for the dust to sell. But look, down here, I, I don't mind the mm. value. I'd keep this on my watch list. Okay. Um, and go, going forward, I, I do like their recurring revenue and their, their, their growth in numbers customers and uh, unit trusts have grown to about 2700 that they're um, uh, they're uh, you know with the software that they've been used on their self-managed fund super fund platform and also their growth in technology investment they've gone from like 12 million a year ago to now they're investing 18 million mm. so they're reinvesting a lot of okay. money in technology so I like it from that standpoint as well but look I'm not adverse to this I wouldn't be a seller right. down here 
I, I'd certainly be look have this on the yeah keep a close eye. Put on the radar. Yeah. Okay, all right. Um, let's take a look at our next stock. And uh, Ron wants a view on on BetMakers. Um, David, BetMakers currently um, did a deal with uh, looking at U.S. opportunities. Of course, they're. Um, the company provides technology and a data platform in that in that betting area, and they're looking at strategic deals in the U.S. share price. Had a bit of a run uh, recently. What do you yeah. think of BetMakers? Uh, very pricey. It's like seven hundred, almost seven hundred fifty million market value. No, no positive earnings. Um, right. Everybody's excited about the growth in the U.S. here and fixed odds betting. Yep. Um, you know that's what they're buying it for. But look. The um, the EBIT uh, delivered up, you know, uh, delivered 56 million revenue, revenue I should 56 million Aussie revenue, and EBIT of 7.7 million on a market cap of nearly 750 million. Wow. Um, you know they got a bit of cash. They got uh, 68 and a half million in the bank, which is something. But jeez, uh, <coughs> the the trend, the move up here uh, from the lows where it went from um, you know 10 cents to a dollar, mm. that's a 10 bagger since the lows. Yeah. I'd, I'd be taking money off the table, no hesitation here. Uh, I just, yeah, look, uh, that people are buying it for growth in the US, but um, not for my money. Because you've got this and points bet, there's the other one, is that in this? I'd rather points bet than this, right. um, okay. uh, you know, if I had to choose. Okay. But uh, yeah, look, I just think everyone's getting too excited about it. The valuation is, it looks Huge. ridiculous. Scott, what do you think of betmakers? Looks expensive, doesn't it? I think it probably is expensive. There, there probably is it's a slow different way to think about this one, though. And I'm not going to. I still think it's too expensive, by the way. So let me put that headline out. But first, I'm not going to wheeze my way back to a buy. Um, this is interesting because this is a data and software provider yep. to other um, other gambling houses. Now, that's that can be a, a fantastic way to diversify your business and get access to growth you don't otherwise have to pay for. You're not building the brand. We've seen. I mean, think about and this is a different industry, but think about the number of you know. Uh, bookmakers we've seen merge and grow and rebrand yep. here in Australia alone trying to grow a, a betting business a, a book here in Australia is tough in the US equally as tough albeit that the market is opening up there so there should be more people gambling over time uh, probably a terrible social outcome but good for the good for the bookies um, now that's probably good for those and for, for you know for the likes of the bookies they may well be able to build great brands and make great profits. If you're betmakers, though, and you're kind of the, this is literally the picks and shovels play, if you like, these are the systems that support the, those sort of bookies and give them kind of their, their bookmaker in a box. It's not their term. It's not mine. just made it up. Right, but, you know, that yeah. kind of idea of, hey, here it is, all it is. Put your brand on it, effectively yeah. white label it, right. and then you're, you're up and running as a bookie. And I think that's an attractive way to build a business for, for betmakers because they don't have to do the rest of it. You don't yeah. get the same premium because you're not a brand. But you've got a big diversified opportunity. You don't have to go and get those growth, um, make those growth strides yourself. The downside, of course, is without that brand, you can't charge a high price. And plenty of bookies are going to say, "Hang on, we don't want to be susceptible to a you know some partner concentration risk here. Uh, we'll do it ourselves. Thanks very much." It is doing well, but also, as David's already pointed out, there is way too much hype around what the US might look like. And if we can only just get it's the old one percent of China story, right? If we only they just get some of that share as they grow up. Look how big we'll be. I mean, that could make it from here, but there's a lot of ticket style outcome, particularly after the growth of recent years, um, or the last year, really, look at that, the last 12 months. That's very much, it's a great story for shareholders, and there's plenty out there probably saying, hang on, I'm holding on to this. I've, it's made me rich. I'm going to write it. And I get that sentiment. 
But you've got to ask yourself, is the reality of business and, and contract wins on the ground really justifying a 10-bagger? If it is, great. I just don't think it is. I think you're probably at risk of overpaying because you're buying into the hype at the moment. Right. So if, if you'd followed it up, is this one of those stocks where you know, it's become a 10-bagger, you take some profits off the top and let the rest of it run, at least maybe get your investment back? You know, so that's a bigger question. I'm not a big fan of the whole house money idea, Koshi, I have to say. Um, right. Leaving any money on the table if you don't think it's attractive enough, it strikes me as silly. And if it's, if okay. it's attractive enough, then yeah, let the yeah. whole lot run if you think the future's that bright. Um, okay. I, it just, I'm just, you know, it's a psychological thing for people. Some people would just prefer it that way. They feel better about it. And if that's you, good luck. You know, by all means, let your money run if that's how you want to invest as an individual investor uh, watching us now. I tend to think if you if you like it enough to hold the shares, hold the shares uh, and make it a, make it an active part of your portfolio at a size you're comfortable with. I do think taking some money off the table anyway is a good idea. So rather than you know kind of taking your profits or, or you know letting letting it run that kind of stuff, I just simply say right, how big is it? If it was a five percent position, it's now a fifty percent position almost by definition. If it was a one percent, it's now a ten percent. Yeah. Do you really want that much money? That's a portfolio question, which is different. Absolutely. So if you do want to hold some, I would take some profit only because it's very probable it's now way too big as a proportion of your portfolio. And I don't think a company like this deserves that sort of concentration. Yep. Great advice. You know, add to that, you know, like, you know, yeah, if you're on it, you stick to it, but put, a, put your stop loss in yeah. at 90 cents. I right. mean, the other warning here is the, the volume is tapering off as uh, it's going up. Right. So just got to be careful of that. Because right. it wouldn't take much selling to for this stock to fall very sharply. Right, running it, out of steam. Because it, it doesn't look that liquid to me either. Right, so. okay. All right. Uh, Scott Troy wants a view on Auto Sports Group. They're the, uh, the big new and used car dealership, 45 franchise dealerships under the umbrella, basically uh, focusing on luxury and prestige cars. Yeah, a couple of smash repairs too, Koshi, in the, in the family. This is a this is an interesting business. It's I love the question because it's kind of saying, hey, as and when the economy recovers, when we go back to buy a whole lot of new cars, and when the new car market returns to some sort of attractive you know state, don't you want to already be on the on the train? I love the question. I think it's a great thought. I do wonder though whether it's a little bit too late to play that trend. I think right. that you know, P have already twenty eight odd times earnings. You can make an argument that earnings were and are still too low, and so maybe it's twenty times or eighteen times normal earnings but even then normal car sales don't grow that fast they grow up three or four percent a year so if you're paying eight times normal earnings but getting three or four times sorry three or four percent normal growth that's still a pretty penny to pay for a business like this you can see that graph the time to buy is with absolute pessimism I think you can see that through Jan and Feb in particular, uh, the markets remembered that maybe the economy is improving, maybe things are coming back. Yeah. And I do think that recovery is, the what that, the recovery of that trend, that graph there is the one you wanted to have ridden. Uh, by now, I tend to think it's too late. Um, I just, unless there's something about the new normal, uh, and maybe, look, maybe it gets back to those 2017 highs we can see on the screen. Maybe that is the future. But even then, if, if that's the maximum upside, if, ish percent maybe if you're lucky um, yep. compared to what if the recovery is as good as you hope what if the new car sales don't come back what if there's a second uh, set of issues around the, the removal of JobKeeper for example I just think you know the, the, the race has been run on this one uh, the recovery trade has been I won't say it's been done because I don't know what happens next but I would say it's fair if you look at that graph that you know the, the time to buy was it maximum pessimism we're not exactly maximum optimism yet but we're feeling pretty good the investment community thinks that this improves but I think that's already in the price. 
Yep. David? Yeah, look, I, again, I endorse exactly what Scott's saying here. You know, look, they came out with a very good half-yearly re re report. You know, the revenue up nearly 8%, you know, net profit uh, before tax was up 132%. So these are, these are good numbers. Um, again, it comes back to, you know, has the race already been run? And in my view, it has. Mm. Um, so taking some profits uh, would be wise in my view, but uh, I wouldn't be chasing it up here. But look, they were good numbers, and again, it all depends on Newcastle. Newcastle's is where they've, they've had some good growth, a 22% yep. growth there. So, um, yeah, I can't add anything okay. more to that. All right, our final stock, uh, David Luke wants a view on 360 Capital. That's a real estate investment trust um, here in Australia. What do you think of uh, look, I can't get excited about this one. So I'm looking for some opportunity, but you know, um, yep. look, it's a, it's a discount. It looks like there's a discount to NTA here. What's the, whatever the share price is at the moment. Yeah, 89. Yeah, 89. Yeah. Uh, NTA, net tangible asset value of the company is $1.14. Right. So, you know, um, it's a small, look, it's a small property trust. Um, mostly looks like uh, based to, the properties are based to New Zealand by the looks of it. Mm. I haven't looked into it, but look, their earnings haven't been great. Um, I, I just yep. uh, can't get excited. Their net tangible asset discount actually went down. Um, their market cap, sorry, their forecast earnings is six cents. Closing price, look, it's okay, but I'd rather be in some of the bigger property trusts like BWP would be my uh, number one pick. Okay. Um, but this one, yeah, mm. I, I just uh, don't. Scott? I think if you want to invest in, in 360, you have to believe that property continues to recover and do well post-COVID as we as we continue to come out of that, kind of almost following on from our auto sports group coverage. It's trying to get a discount to its net tangible asset value, as David mentioned. What that effectively means is if you took all the assets of the entire company and you sold them for what the valuers say they're worth, you'd have money left over after you paid off the shares. And that should be attractive for most investors, right? Yeah. This is, you know, Warren Buffett talks about getting a dollar for 80 cents. Yes. <laughs> well, that's, that, that is the other problem, of course. But yeah, yeah. If, you, if you can get a dollar for 80 cents, why wouldn't you? That is that is the proposition here. They're literally saying that they're, the most recent annual presentation says, hey, you know, this was only 88 cents, I think, at the time. There's a dollar 14, of, I think, as I mentioned, a value here. Who wouldn't want to get a dollar 14 for 88 cents? Of course yeah. you would buy it. But as you say, Koshi, this is the, look, if you're a contrarian with a really strong view, if you know the market is saying we don't believe these these asset values will not saying they're they're wrong or, or, or improper at all. What the market is simply saying is we think that those prices will fall. We think the prices you've already kind of highlighted. We think the prices are too high, and when they come down, there won't be a discount anymore because the the values come down to the price rather than the price going up to the values. And that's really possible. And that'd be the risk I'd be taking. I don't own any REITs. I'm not buying any REITs. But I could mm -hmm. imagine an investor who says, hey. This COVID thing blows over. We go back to some sort of normal. Yeah, maybe a couple more of us work from home. Yeah, maybe a couple more of us order stuff online. But, you know, retail goes back. You know, they don't make any more land, as the old saying goes. And eventually people go back there and eventually it's worth something. That's not, I, I don't necessarily buy into that view, but I certainly couldn't contradict it particularly strongly. It's very possible that's what happens next. Yeah. And so there might be an enterprising investor who does pay 88 cents for $1.14 of value. Of course, you have to believe they're not going to sell these assets, by the way, and give you the money back. They're waiting for the market to wake up to it, hopefully wake up to it and agree with them that it's worth paying a dollar fourteen for a dollar fourteen's worth of assets. Uh, I, I'm not even skeptical, mate. I just think it's a game you don't need to play. The upside's not big enough to be yeah. worthwhile. There are many better income ideas. There are many better growth ideas. 
if you're, you know, David and I both said no a lot today because you don't need to own 100, 200, 500, 1,000 stocks. You, you need to own 15, 20, 25, 30 stocks that meet your specific criteria, whether that's based on the charts as David does or the fundamentals as I do. Um, you know, you're only going to find that many. This simply yeah. just doesn't, yeah. even if the upside's there, it's not big. And if it's not there, you don't make money. That's kind of a heads I win a little bit, tails I lose. Not a good enough proposition for me. Yep. No, totally agree with you. And uh, uh, how, how many are going to go back to work or, or continue buying online? The jury is still out on that. Let's just recap. Uh, final five stocks over the wire, a no from both uh, Scott and David. Class one, a hold from Scott. David's got it on his watch list. Uh, Bitmakers, take some profits. Um, um, if um, you, David, if you're in David's shoes, uh, he would be taking some profits on Betmakers at the moment. Uh, a no from Scott. Auto Sports, a no from both. And 360, uh, the REIT, a no from both of them as well. Um, David Novak from Wealthwise Education, great to see you, mate. Well, you too. Uh, Scott Phillips from Motley okay. Falls, thank you. Thank you for your Great restaurant question. suggestions. You asked me for a couple in Port Adelaide, Scott. You're a bit cheeky. I would send you to uh, the Port Club, uh, where you overlook Albert and <laughs> Oval, course. but we're renovating that at the moment. Wait until the end of the year and it would be my pick. Otherwise, the British Hotel next to Birkenhead right. Bridge there, beautiful wine cellar downstairs, stunning, and also the Lighthouse Hotel on the corner as well. So uh, when you come Tell over for a game... <laughs> Got to come over for a game and see Port Adelaide play at um, Adelaide Oval. I'll take you there for a beer and uh, yeah. uh, a couple Locked of good in. reds. How's that? <laughs> All right, done. All right, Thanks, you're buddy. on. It's a good day. All right, David, good to see you, mate. You too, thank you. All right, if you'd like us to uh, cover any stocks that you want uh, to follow here, um, send us an email to call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at TV handle. Uh, check out the calls uh, portfolio, all the stocks in it, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And don't forget to subscribe to the Ausbiz newsletter as well. Scuddy's View, the uh, COB podcast, some popular videos as well coming through. Uh, subscribe at osbiz.co slash the COB. And uh, coming up on the Startup Daily Show, um, the team looks at a whole bunch of companies that are looking to uh, raise capital, talking to venture capitalists. The incoming chief executive of Investable, Rod Bristow, um, joins the team as he embarks on raising capital for a new $50 million fund. That's coming up on the Startup Daily Show and a whole lot more. So very uh, big afternoon ahead of us here on Ausbiz. You don't want to miss a minute of it. We will be back after the break. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.